0: Well, you're saying that Jesus is king over all the earth. Do you believe that? Or do you just, you just sing it? I hope you believe it. He is savior and king over all. We have one assignment from God's word this morning, at least one challenge, one command from the text in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. And uh, we're going to read the text, and I... I'm going to put the challenge out to you to find out what our one application for today is. There's just one command in this text. It's filled with all kinds of truth and doctrine and theology, but only one command. That's what we're going to uh, settle on. But I want to look today and uh, read from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, even though the text is 11 through 22 because it sets the stage. It's important to set the stage because uh, it's really difficult to start into a uh, a sermon contextually by using the word therefore because you need to wonder why that word therefore is therefore. So you have to look back and so we need to read from verse 8 because it sets the stage. So if your Bibles are open or your electronic devices that have scripture, I don't want you looking at Facebook while you're here, scripture, then um, you're at Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I hope you've memorized those three verses. I hope they, they just come flowing out of you as I was reading them, that you knew, knew them before I read them. Therefore, because of this, remember that formally, you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men, parenthetically, Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God, comma, in the world. But now in Christ Jesus you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier The dividing wall of hostility by abolishing in his flesh the law with his commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. And in this one body, to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. Well, this is the Word of God. Did you catch the command? There's only one command in the text. Did you catch it? What is it? Remember. Remember. Twice it's repeated. Our whole assignment for this text, this section of God's Word, is to remember why is it so important to remember well because it's really easy to forget that's why Um, I don't know about you but I had a really kind of lousy week this week just one of those weeks you know that nothing worked out uh, everything went wrong people were not that nice even some Christian people weren't so nice shocking I got stranded down in Dufferin and Rogers Avenue yesterday. Don't, don't ask. It's a big story, long story, annoying story. And I, I'm watching it. I'm standing in the trap, watching people just mistreat each other. I had to go lecture a guy in the, in the middle of the street just because he was being so mean. And people are honking his horn, going nuts. I'm like, relax, this is Canada. We don't act like this. But it was just, it's just, you know, um, one of those weeks. And um, if I had to... If, if I were lost and didn't know God at all, and I had the week I had, I, would, I wouldn't have known anything about Him. I would wonder about Him. and Regularly, our weeks go like that where we don't necessarily see God or see Him in action or the way people are, are acting or they're certainly misrepresenting Him or whatever. And so it's a text like this that, that com- the command comes to us to remember the great things that God has done for you. So it was so critical for me to come to church today and to be in my place there and and to to hear you sing and to to have Pastor Steve and the team lead us in great songs of great doctrine and theology about Christ as Savior and what He has done for us. And it just lifted my heart up and I realized, yes, of course, this is the truth. This is what we believe. This is what we are to remember. Remember? and uh, it, it takes that you know as the week progresses and I'm, I'm sure some of you had the same kind of week like i don't need you know don't feel bad for me or anything i'm i'm okay you know we're, we're called to be overcomers you know there, there's a reason why in the bible lots of places believers are called to be overcomers it's because the lord doesn't take away all of the nasty things that come our way he has he's given us the ability the power empowered by the spirit of god to be overcomers and so he calls us that, and at the end, when we stand before him, because Christ has overcome, we can overcome. That's just a side thought for, you know, a bonus to the sermon. That's not the sermon, but, but so we're called to be overcomers, and, and, and we need to regularly come back to the truth and remember it. That's why we're commanded to do this. That's, that's why, I, I know I sound like a broken record, but... And I know I'm preaching to the choir this morning, but I, I'm telling you, you need to come to church all the time. That's why, you know, you, you go a week or two, if, if I had two or three weeks like I had this week and didn't go to church, I'd be like, hey, I, you know, I'm... I'm I'd be like under the ground I'd be I'd be laid out you know it's 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 this necessity to to come back to what we believe and and remember it's a command here it's not an option it's remember and when you remember in a theological way you're it's always an a, an attitude of action we remember what God has done for us that we might live in a certain way and he, we might be encouraged and lifted up and and, 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 and bring uh, his, him praise and, and our lives may be refreshed and ready to go at it the week that's to come, that we'll need to be overcomers uh, this week that's coming as well. Listen, I'm your soul doctor, right? That's my job. You, you have lots of other doctors and other things and all that, but my job is to be the doctor of your soul. And I'm telling you that, that you need that constant reminder of the truth of who Jesus is so that you might be able to survive out there, and thrive out there, and praise the Lord, and lift up your voices. So, I, I, I think I've made the point that the text here says, remember. If you forget, if you, if you remember nothing else today, remember, remember, because there's two words here. It's too easy. It's, it's a most dangerous sin to forget, to remember. And I think we all all, all know, too, that You know, as you read this text and as you read the amazing things that God has done for us, uh, Ephesians chapter 1, and you just read through that and every spiritual blessing in Christ and how our salvation has been given to us, we've been chosen before the foundation of time and we are saved by grace and we are God's workmanship, God's masterpiece. And you're listening to all of this. You start to realize what the amazing things that God has done for us. And and we're to grab hold of this text with a, a certain amount of emotional resolve that says, listen, I will be loyal to that kind of God for all that he's done for me. You know, most of you have probably done nice things for people. And most of you have probably known a few people who you've done some really nice things for and they've conveniently forgotten. Nothing hurts more. Than to have sort of poured yourself into someone, sort of gone out of the way to help somebody, and they just turn their back on you and just reject you. Well, this is the context here for which Paul is writing. He's, he's writing along, and then he's thinking, I got to tell these people. Like, look, I got to take a pause here and say, listen, this is an amazing thing that God has done. So make sure you remember. And then he's, he's, he's sort of in a, in, a, in a middle spot, and then he says, oh, I got some other things I got to tell you. I want you to remember what I've just told you, but I've got three things in this section that that he wants us to remember specifically about the Lord and what he's done for us. So I want to show you that in the first, uh, verses 11 through 13, the first of them is this, that Christ has brought us from far to near because we are in Christ. You see what it says here in verse 13? But now in Christ Jesus you were once, were far away, have been brought near through the blood of Christ. Uh, You've got to get a hold of this. It's got to grip your soul. We once were really far away from God. In fact, we were impossibly far away from God. We were irreparably far away from God in and of our own strength. Look at the words that show up just in verse 12. There's words like, we were separated from Christ. We were excluded from citizenship in God's people. We were foreigners to the covenant, covenants of the promise. We were without hope. We were without God. <clears throat> and remember, I said there should be a comma here. We were in the world. We were beat up, slaves of all that is wrong with this world, slaves to sin and slaves to ourselves. We were in a state of impossible separation from God. This is the, the, the reality of our situation and many of us have forgotten because we've been many years in the family of God but we once were far away from God and it was impossible. The chasm, the separation from God was an impossible uh, um, uh, impossible for us to bridge because sins cannot be brought near to God and we were sinners. We were spiritually dead Slaves to sin, we could not make the journey to God at all. He wouldn't receive us because we were sinners. Christ has done an amazing thing for us. Christ has brought us near. But, it says in verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, he has lifted us completely to a different realm of life. Uh, we learned a couple of weeks ago that we have been positionally seated with Christ in the heavenlies that seems odd to us what what does that really mean well it's brought uh, more clearly out here that that formerly, before we knew Christ before we were brought into the family of Christ uh, we were living in the earthly realm we were we were slaves to the way of ways of the earth the ways of people But when we came to know Christ and when he brought us into a relationship with himself, it says there he seated us in the heavenlies. He actually changed the realm in which we live so that we live in the realm where we are truly freed and liberated to live a life that pleases God. We have been empowered By God to live—that that's the difference between how we live. We no longer live in the realm of that that had us trapped, but we've now been lifted out of that realm by the power of God, and we now live in a way that can please God because of His power in our lives. He has moved us from being confined to what is weak and merely human to the heavenly realm of God, where we're really freed, liberated. From those things that were ruining our lives and empowered to become who we were really meant to be that's an amazing thing and um, paul is um, a little frustrated here with the jews who are allegedly calling themselves god's people because they were thinking that they had been brought near to god because they had practiced certain rituals and ceremony he points out here that that the Jews who are calling themselves the circumcision, which seems to be their biggest badge of honor, they think that this ritual somehow brought them into favor with God. And he says here, it wasn't your circumcision. You were brought to God through the blood of Jesus Christ. And um, we need to take a pause here for a moment because we, we are quick to, quick to say, oh yeah, the, those Jews, you know, they just thought that, that if they practiced certain rituals and certain ceremony that they were in, they belonged to the people of God, and we would never do something like that. We do exactly the same thing. We think that because we come to church, or because we, we somehow do, did this, or we walked an aisle, or whatever, somehow that, that God owes us his favor. We didn't come to salvation because of our own good works, our own choice, we came to salvation because Christ died for us and called us to himself. Regularly, people um, allow their religion to become a replacement for trust in God. And it's not just the Jews who are doing this. It can be us. We, we continue to look at these and, and we yes, we love Ephesians 8 and 9, For it was by grace you've been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And then we somehow lose our, our, our bearings and think somehow we had something to do with this. Listen, John wrote in John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, With respect to our salvation and coming to Christ, he writes, Yet to all who received him, To those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, not of some race, nor of a human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Say, well, that's what John said, but what does it say in the red letter version? Because some of you think the red letter version is, is more true. Well, here's what Jesus said. John chapter 15, verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And then down in verse 19, if you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. Say, yes, but you know, Jesus also said, I stand at the door and knock, and if anybody hears my voice, yes, that's what he said. But who did he say it to? Revelation chapter 3, verse 20 is the text. And in verse 14 it says, To the angel of the church of Laodicea. Jesus is speaking to the church of Laodicea. And he says in verse 19, Those whom I love, I rebuke, and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him, and he with me to him who overcomes. He's saying that the re- act of repentance is listening to me again to allow me to have my rule and reign in your life. He's not asking the church to get saved again. You know, we have to continue to, to, to understand the nature of our salvation in the context of how it's written, that we might not go off in, in various ways and start to think that we had something to do with it, which, which means that God owed us something, which means it's a form of salvation by works, which means it's a form of legalism. So um, be very careful with how you handle verses. Uh, probably the worst thing that was ever done to the Word of God is to put numbers in front of sentences. This was never written. God didn't didn't hand this down with numbers in front of it. I know it's great for us. We can find stuff, and that's wonderful. But verses are in context. Context is in books, and the book is the Bible, and there's a theology that runs through the Scriptures that we have to pay attention to so that we won't be misled or misguided, and, and we won't misguide or mislead people. Taking verses and just throwing them out there is like someone handing you a grenade and not telling you what the pin on the grenade is. You may just pull it and blow yourself up. This is a it's critical that you learn sections of Scripture. Sections of Scripture. We'll help you stay in context. So they were thinking and we're thinking that somehow we had something to do with this and uh, we didn't make our salvation happen. We were far away from God. So far we couldn't get there. And it was the violent taking of Christ's life that bridged the impossible chasm of sin that alienated us from God and his solutions for our lives. You cannot have a God solution For your life, without embracing a Christ sacrifice for your sin. No ceremony, no ritual, no social service, no act that you did could bring salvation to you. It was Christ. It couldn't circumcision couldn't bring you to Christ. It was a call of God in your life. He brought you near to God. Christ alone, and and Paul says, remember this. It's critical to you that you remember what Christ has done for you. So what action steps should we take in light of this great truth that we were far away and now we've been brought near? Well, we should focus on a life of gratitude for what Christ has done for us on this life-determining change that Christ has made in our lives. We also need to pay attention to the fact that, that um, we are being defined by who Christ is and what he's done for us. Uh, Far too often, Christians get caught up in in allowing themselves to define themselves by what they were when they were far away from Christ as opposed to what they are now in Christ. Uh, Too many of us empower uh, our past by um, continuing to to, to uh, allow it to define us, well, and, and in particular, I think of, of of some of us who've been rescued from addictions. It's not it's not right for us to still call ourselves an addict. As the world suggests, as some of the world's therapy ideas are, you once were an addict, but now you are in Christ and empowered and raised to the heavenlies and live in a new realm that you're freed and liberated and able to live for Christ. Don't empower again the things that you were and that you were enslaved by or what's happened to you in your past, but rather define yourself by who you now are and where you now are in Christ. That changes everything in terms of of how we live out this fact that we've been taken from far and now we've been brought near to god and have access to him this is what paul meant when he said in philippians 3 13 um, uh, forgetting what is behind me i press on to the high calling of christ jesus this is the, the teaching in Paul when he wrote to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He said, and he names off a number of, uh, of sinful habit patterns. He says, that's what you were. That is not what defines who you are. You are a child of God and in Christ is your address. And is a new empowerment in your life to live a different way. So remember this, Paul says. But he asks us to remember something else. Verses 14 through 19. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two Gentiles and Jews one. Now, um, Christ has brought us from being an outsider to belonging because he is our peace. Everybody, everyone in the world wants to belong. And there's a lot of loneliness and a lot of alienation in our world and a lot of hostility and hatred and uh, bigotry and all the things that alienate people. And Paul says, I want you to remember something about Jesus Christ, something amazing that he has done for you. He has brought you from being an outsider to belonging to God because Christ is our peace. Now, when we think about the word peace or the concept of peace, I would guess that all of us struggle or are frustrated by the fact that there is so little of it, whether it be families at odds with one another, hostile to one another, whether it be um, situations in your workplace or whatever. And as we look around the world, all it is is people brutalizing one another. Whole movements of people being displaced and alienated and a horrible situation in humanity. And Paul writes here and says, here's what Jesus does. He brings peace. He is our peace. He offers something different. Christ has brought us home to God. And peace, by the way, as one writer puts it, by definition, is not merely the cessation of hostility, although that's what should happen, It is a comprehensive term for salvation and life with God. That's what this whole section here means. It is the way life should be. When the the Jews would say shalom to one another, as they still do, when they say peace to one another, they're, they're talking about, may life the way it should be be granted to you, this is how we were made to be when when god made humanity he didn't make us so that we would fight and kill and have and express bigotry and divisions and and hurt one another that's not what god had in mind for us and jesus christ comes to bring something different because it says there he is our peace he doesn't just bring peace to our situation he actually brings peace to us because he brings us to god he, he, he invades us with the peace of God that passes understanding. Many of you know what that is. Many of you have experienced that. It's a peace that that defies the, the logic of the situation that you're in, where God's peace just settles in your life, because God is never anxious. He's never frustrated. He's never out of control. The peace of God is the same peace that God enjoys, and it's the peace whereby He knows exactly what's happening, exactly what's going to take place, and He's not worried about it. This peace comes to us. It's a gift of God. It's a gift of God's presence, which is being promised to us here. Remember this, Paul says. This is what you have. And interesting he, here on a sidebar, in terms of a, a, a divinity reality, in, in Judges chapter 6, verse 24, it says there, Yahweh is peace. Yahweh is peace. And now you encounter here where it says, for he himself, Jesus is peace. Uh, peace. So you have this, uh, uh, as you do regularly in the New Testament, uh, crediting Jesus with the same character and nature and reality as God uh, himself, because he is very God. And the plan of God, um, in in distinction to the realm of humans, which is hatred, division, bigotry, and enemies, the plan of God was to bless all the nations. Uh, Old, Old Testament peace with God was through Israel. Uh, when God called Abraham. But here's, here's the thing. Um, rather than, uh, rather than uh, build a bridge to the nations. As Israel was supposed to do. Which Israel was always supposed to be a missionary nation. They were always supposed to take the reality of God to the nations. But rather than build a bridge. They built walls. And tried to keep people out. Of the people of God. Because they became proud of their. Position in God it's very easily for, easy for us as well to become very proud of what we have and I can't we you know how many times does it have to say in the scriptures that man would not boast that you should not boast your salvation did not come from yourself so don't boast about this don't become proud don't become arrogant don't look at other people and say what's wrong with them why did they why are they living so miserably look at me look at how i'm living for christ listen once we were far once that was us that's the emphasis of this text you were an outsider and now jesus has brought you in you were far away and jesus has brought you near don't you look down on people who are, who are outside of faith don't don't uh, Uh, Don't uh, become arrogant as as others have in history, others of people of God in history. Um, And so as we read here, it says that um, he has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. In other words, Jesus has done what we couldn't do um, in, in uh, contrast to to their exercise of circumcision uh, uh, an act done by hands Jesus has done in his flesh what couldn't be done he has removed the barrier and obstacles now when it says here has abolished the law what does this mean? that the Ten Commandments are no longer in vogue? you're as quiet as the first service (laughs) well that can't be possible no what, what did Jesus take out of the way he took out of the way the ceremonial and dietary laws which by the way, just so we understand what that was all about uh, keep in mind that the people of God in the Old Testament did not have the Spirit of God living in them as a result there was an external law that gave them boundaries and fences and ways to live that would please God. So they had, basically it was a schoolmaster to help them to live in certain ways. And coupled with that, the ceremonial and dietary laws pointed to Messiah. The, The dietary and ceremonial laws also caused God's people in the Old Testament to uh, think of God day by day. They had to think of God day by day. They had to think, what can I eat, what can't I eat? What should I wear, what can't I wear? I can't put cotton with this. I, look, at, look at me today in the mirror. Oh, no, 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 that's a violation. I've got to wear something different. And, and it was, why did they? Why was that put there? So that they would be, have a God consciousness every day because they didn't have an indwelling spirit of God. But when Jesus came and brought us from far to near and from outsider to belonging, the Spirit of God moved into us. The, the law of Christ, because Christ himself moved into us, so now the law has moved into us. The moral law of God is now resident within us. So the point of, uh, of access to God is to experience life in the realm of peace for ourselves and toward our brothers. And any barriers, therefore, any barriers between us us Brothers and sisters in Christ uh, And full fellowship Are not because of Christ And they're not because of the Bible They're because of man-made sloppy theology Basically That's what divides us That's what separates us And furthermore If we have any walls in our lives That exclude others It's based generally on culture and race And style and these kinds of walls are to be taken down uh, in, in Christ's economy. Any barriers to full fellowship is sloppy theology and any walls that exclude others by forcing them to embrace anything or anyone but Christ and loyalty to him must be de- demolished. So how are we to act to people outside of faith in light of this, this peace that's come to us and, and uh, they're not in the family of God so we can't treat them the same way as, as if they're in the family of God. But how are we to treat them? If we have received the peace of Jesus Christ, well, I'll tell you how we're to treat them, I think. We're to model to the lost an attitude and an approach to them that is no different than how we treat our brothers and sisters in Christ in this. We are to model grace and kindness and peace of God and confidence in God in the, in the setting of a lost person's life that they might see what it's like To serve the living God that they might have an experience themselves of what it is to know Jesus Christ. So we treat them in a a manner similar to to the way we treat brothers and sisters. But for sure to our brothers and sisters we must treat them with kindness and respect and grace. The fusion of Christ. In chapter 1 and and the start of chapter 2 the emphasis on is that we've been fused to Christ. That's the earlier emphasis, but in this section, uh, the the results of the amazing reality is that now we've been joined together with God's people. We've been fused together with God's people through the reconciliation that God has made with us so we can be reconciled to our brothers and sisters. So um, what does this look like? What, What is the action that goes with this? Access to a reconciling God means that we are required to begin benefiting ourselves and others with Christ's peace. Hatred and division and bigotry and enemies have, has no place in the Christian context. No place whatsoever. So have you got family stuff? You at odds? You've got other stuff with other situations and relationships in your life? Have you created any barriers? Have, I, have we created any barriers or dividing walls between fellow believers? Listen, there's nothing wrong with having style and different culture. That's the beauty of Christianity. Christianity isn't a cookie-cutter kind of thing where we all dress the same, we all look the same, we all wear the same uniform. I'm looking out at you this morning, you're quite different. That, that's the... You, you, you know, it's not the same as the other religions of the world, but, but, but Christianity... Works within a variety of styles and a variety of cultures and a variety of races. And, and uh, what the world can't do, which is get along with people who are different, we're called to. We're, we're enabled to because Christ has, has come into our lives. A Christ who is our peace has come into our life and has bro- broken down these walls. And, and so. Regularly, the Church of Jesus christ is is divided in a hostile way, way uh, based on styles or based on culture L- listen um, if, if you are committed to preserving your culture or preserving your style at the expense of Jesus Christ, then what you 're doing is not church uh, church is to, uh, is for us to be able to work within the Variety of cultures and variety of styles, but continue to accentuate the reality that Christ is all in all. That's what this is teaching us. Christ, not culture, is our life. It's our place, it's our address. Some people are seeking to preserve their culture and not Christ. That's not a church. Paul says, Remember this. Remember what Christ has done for you. And there's a third and final point here. Verses 19, I'll overlap here. Verses 19 through 22 is perhaps one of the most exceptional descriptions of the church ever. If you're not, if you're not really sure what church is, then this is a, a beautiful place to, to look. What are we to remember? We're to remember that Christ has brought our lives from misalignment and distress into alignment and security because Jesus is our cornerstone. This is fantastic. Let me, let me um, rework what Paul has stated here in describing the church that, that we might remember with a sense of awe and reverence for the amazing thing that God has done through Jesus Christ for us. So um, I'm going to talk to you about the church, and I'm going to talk to you about building the church and how Jesus builds the church. And I don't know anything about building. Remember, I don't know anything about farming. I don't know anything about building. But I tell you things about farming, and I tell you things about building. I've done a little research, but forgive me if it's a little rough, a little unrefined. But I'll tell you what I know from the Bible, that the church is this. It starts with Jesus Christ as the cornerstone. Now... A cornerstone is a, a critical and vital pl- part of, of an ancient building project. The cornerstone was that massive stone structure. And by the way, when I say massive, uh, some archaeologists have found cornerstones in the ancient ruins that weighed up to 570 tons, okay? Cornerstone. Now, um, you know, we think we're pretty bright and pretty smart and pretty amazing with all our machinery and our mechanics and our physics and all of that. But somehow they managed to cart around a 570 ton stone and place it exactly where they wanted. So they were pretty smart, too. Anyway, you have this this massive stone and and the cornerstone is the first stone that's laid. And that stone is laid in a particular way to align exactly the way the building is to be because that stone is going to align three angles. It's going to align the building in that angle, it's going to align the building in that angle, and it's going to align the building in that angle. Now, if you get those three angles right, you have yourself a great building. And so it says here that Jesus Christ must be the cornerstone of the church. He's the one who sets the lines. He's the one who establishes the way it's going to be placed. He's the one who's the load-bearing rock. He bears the weight of the building. That's what the chief cornerstone did. It was the chief load-bearing rock. He's the one who provides security for the building. You see, if, the, if a, a, a massive... Uh, Natural event took place, or even a war took place, and the building was destroyed. The cornerstone wasn't going anywhere. The cornerstone would stay. In fact, people could hide behind the cornerstone in security. It was the one who would be there, it would be there, and you could rebuild that building exactly the way it was, in exactly the same lines, with exactly the same angles. That's the picture of Christ, the chief cornerstone. After that, after you have that alignment, you line up now all of the foundation stones. And it says in the text that the foundation stones are the teachings of the apostles and the prophets, which actually are derived from the teachings of Christ. Verse 17, he came teaching. Now the apostles and the prophets are taking the teachings of Christ and they establish the foundation. And anybody who's a builder here knows that if you have a great cornerstone and you have a great foundation you're going to have a great building if you have a lousy foundation you're going to have a horrible building and unfortunately way too many things that call themselves christians are not built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets teaching they're built on ideas and 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 suspicions of man but not on the apostles teaching. now what is this teaching well um I, i would submit to you that this is basically the new testament apostles and prophets um, an apostle had to have seen Jesus to qualify to be an apostle. Therefore, I don't believe there are apostles today. And the New Testament prophets, um, not that the Old Testament prophets have nothing to teach us because they have everything to teach us. They have, it's God's word. But the, the order of this by saying apostles and then prophets if it meant Old Testament prophets it would have said prophets and then apostles so it's saying apostles and prophets which I submit to use the New Testament prophets and New Testament prophets are the ones who've written this the scriptures for us here and I think it's further uh, corroborated by Paul here in chapter 3 verse 4 where he says in reading this then you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ which was not made known to men in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit To God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body. So they have been granted uh, an awareness of the mystery of God, which was always his plan, is to bring the nations together in one body called the Church of Jesus Christ. Now, so we have foundations, we have the teachings of the apostles, and by the way, it's really crucial for you to take the apostles' words. And, and hide it in your heart, and accept it, and receive it. Um, and now we have this, now we have a foundation, we have a cornerstone, and it says here that, that the building itself, the structure itself, is made up of you, people. See what it says in verse 22, and in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling where... Um, god in which god lives by his spirit so the church is people and there's an interesting construction here that brings out the emphasis of of how amazing this is and how tightly together we should be you'll find that there are three words that that don't show up in in english the same construction but they're words that that are joined together um, by the word with and um and the the first of them is here we are fellow citizens in other words we are citizens with each other down in verse 21, we are joined to each other, with each other. And in verse 22, we are built with each other. I, I, the, the scriptures can't emphasize enough how together the church is supposed to be. Every race, every culture, every creed, every language, people from Every part of the world are together. We are joined together in this amazing family called the church. The church is not this building, the church is you. I'm looking at the church as I look out at you. Uh, The church doesn't grow. This building has been sitting here for 20 some odd years. It doesn't expand and move. I haven't seen any of these walls move. It's we who grow, it's the church that grows, it's the people that grow. We are the church. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets teaching and Christ as our cornerstone. That's the definition of church. The church is a holy building made of people anchored, secured and plumb lined by Christ. Built from his teaching through New Testament apostles and prophets and fused together by Christ himself to be the place God lives on earth by his spirit. What an amazing thing that God has done to entrust the work of his glorious gospel to us that's what Paul says you got to remember this remember what the church really is remember who the church really is you're the church so this should reshape our lives We ought to live like Christ and his word are sufficient for our lives and our security. If we have Christ as the chief cornerstone, giving alignment to everything, we have the teaching of the apostles and and the prophets, we have all we need and we have sufficiency in Christ. We have his word. We have everything we need in life. We don't need human philosophies and human strategies and human sensitivities and human emotions. We have Christ. I close with this. If God's building program is people, are you investing in the right place? I, um, I would submit to you, and I've, I've always sought to lead this way, that the biggest part of the budget of any given church should be people. Not programs, not property. It should be people. Because that's who God is working through. That's the amazing... I mean, you, of course we need buildings, and we need programs, and we need things that we do. Of course we need them. But a, a forward-moving church has always got a vision for the fact that we ought to invest in what God is building. And God is building people. He's building the church. He's, building, he's expanding that. He's, he's building it through missionaries and through leaders who expand the, the ministry of Christ uh, here and throughout the world. Expanding it into your lives. That's what we ought to be doing. That's what we are doing. If God's building program is people are you investing in the right place father we thank you we praise you we worship you we remember so we won't forget what you have done in christ jesus on our behalf and lord i just pray as we think about being far and brought near outsiders now belonging our lives uh, out of control and misshapen and now brought into alignment to honor god through jesus christ Lord, thank you for this. Uh, Regardless of how our week goes, may we remember not to forget the good things that Jesus has done for us. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Sort of describing the plight of the lost reminds us that people who leave God out of their lives are left with little else to focus on than themselves which explains why most of the people around us spend their time chasing after fitness and entertainment. They need to see and experience something better. And that's the picture of this text. It's who we are. We're to show them something better. We're to show them that uh, we are people who are in Christ. We're to show them what that looks like. That we are people who who follow the teachings of the apostles and the prophets and carefully follow after Christ and what he has taught us and we are to um, remember that we are people who are saved by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone and nothing else that is what we are called to remember and to live and proclaim because remembering in God's economy, always moves to action. Always. So in light of what we remember, how should we then live? Father, I pray this morning that uh, we will remember what an amazing transformation has taken place in our lives and is taking place to move us from far away to near, to have access to God. From outsiders to belonging to the covenants of promise. And Lord, we thank you that you have brought us from a misalignment and misshaped life, not knowing where we were going, to a life aligned by the master himself, the Lord Jesus Christ, our chief cornerstone. Lord, would our lives please reflect that, help us to do that. In the midst of the challenges of the week ahead, help us not to forget who we are whose we are, and how we ought to live. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.